every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello and welcome to Pipeline Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Spencer Dent, founder of Closed, a company that provides innovative software and services for win-loss analysis. In this episode, Spencer provides insights for running effective win-loss programs that help companies see the bigger picture when it comes to product roadmapping and marketing. Spencer also shares Close's three-tiered approach to the buyer's journey, the importance of getting feedback directly from clients, good or brutal, and how to make sure companies are visible to the right people at the right time. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Qualified. If you're a revenue team that runs your business on Salesforce, Qualified will accelerate your lead generation, pipeline, and ultimately revenue. Learn more at qualified.com. So please enjoy this interview between Spencer Dent, founder of Closed, and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Pipeline Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. Today's show is brought to you, as always, by our friends at Qualified. Go to qualified.com to learn more. And today I'm joined by a special guest, Spencer. How are you? Good. How are you? Excited to have you on the show. Today we're going to talk win-loss programs. We're going to talk generating pipeline. We're going to talk about marketing at close and, of course, your background. So let's get into it. First job in demand. You know, it's funny. My first job in demand when I was in college, this is a different, this might be a different uh, job than some folks. My, my first job that I had when I was in college was cold calling on behalf of mortgage companies and setting appointments for mortgage loan officers. And it was brutal, like hooked to a dialer, cold calling. You had to have all your messaging down and everything. And it was rough, man, but. Absolutely. But learned a, learned a lot about how do you message and how do you get people hooked and what do you have to say and how do you rebuttal and all that kind of stuff. More of kind of the sales demand side of it, but fun fun times in retrospect. So flash forward to today, you're obviously the co-founder of Close. Tell us how marketing is involved in your role and uh, and what you oversee. Yeah, so you know the interesting thing about what we do at Close, we run win loss programs for companies, right? So. Win-loss is a fairly, it's one of those things that lots of companies have done historically, but maybe done kind of in one-off forgettable ways. And now it's becoming more of like an operational component uh, to drive a competitive advantage. It's like, if I as a company understand why we win and lose deals, it helps me drive better product development, drive better sales messaging, drive better sales process, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the interesting thing about marketing this type of solution is we don't really compete with a bunch of really strong incumbent players and our buyers aren't all super familiar with this. It's very novel. So you have to create demand a little bit differently. And I think the way you do that is through thought leadership. The way you do that is through, you know, really helping open people's visions about things. And that's much of what we have to do at closed is helping people see that if, you do this and there is a way to do it systematically 
your business will be able to drive so much more go-to-market efficiency and you'll be much better off. So much of what we're having to do is like on the thought leadership front and less on like the, let me tell you very specifically the features of our product that we have that somebody else doesn't have. So we're going to get super deep into win-loss here in our next segment, the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given, you are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What, I thought we were in the trust tree with in the nest, are we not? Where you go and feel honest and trusted and share those deepest, darkest marketing secrets. You told us a little bit about what the company does. What types of customers are you working with? What size companies? Yeah, yeah, g- great question. So, so from a company perspective, basically almost all of our clients are B2B companies. They have a, um, a great way to think about this is if you have a professional sales team and you track opportunities in a CRM, eventually you're going to ask the question, why do we win and lose? What's my batting average? So that's kind of like the group of companies that we could potentially sell to. But the interesting thing is not all um, businesses have advanced to the point where they're, they are tracking things like that, Ian. So it's like most of the companies that get to the point that they're like, crap, we got to figure out how we can get more juice out of all these lemons and really run a good win-loss program. They tend to be tech companies because they're the most highly instrumented businesses in the global economy. And then like market leaders in their space. So most of our clients are, I think, B2B SaaS, B2B tech companies, B2B professional services, manufacturing, shipping type companies. The people that we're selling to within those companies tend to be, what's interesting about win-loss is it tends to be a very cross-functional output of what we do. Like I go talk to buyers about why they want this did or didn't choose your solution. Yeah. They're going to come back and give me feedback about your pricing. They're going to give me feedback about your product. They're going to give me feedback about your sales experience. So within a tech company, very often like the persona is like a VP of product marketing. So kind of depends. And then outside of tech, it's oftentimes like sales operations or enablement or the operations team. So our personas are actually kind of not well-defined across industries because this initiative gets owned by different groups. Like in some companies, we sell directly to the C-suite. Yeah, that's fascinating. And it makes sense. It is, like you said, it's you know building a new program if someone has it from scratch. I remember back in the day, it was that the sales rep, you know, sends the email to the to the joint email box and everybody who's on the closed one email box is like, this is why I won. This is why, you know, I lost, you know, whatever. And that was it. And that yeah. data never went anywhere. It never went to anyone. It never. And that's probably a good thing, Ian, because they don't know why they win and lose. Yeah. Right. The sales reps don't. So, so crazy stat for you, right? Because we pull for our clients. If I'm a CMO and I'm trying to figure out market positioning, should I go listen to my sales reps or not? For our clients, we pull their CRM data and then we actually go talk to their buyers, survey their buyers, like either through like email means or directly direct conversations. And we collect that feedback about why they did what they did. 85% of the time, what the sales rep said, why that you lost the deal is not what the buyer said. Crazy. When we look across our clients. So think of that, like the sales reps, they don't know, like in their defense, like the buyers don't tell them everything. So it's, it's always a funny example. When I'm like, yeah, the reps would say this. And I'm like, I know, like they do, but they don't know. And not to their own fault. That's just the way this, these processes break down. Yeah. Or it's, or it's like right there in the CRM, right? You, you hit that closed loss button. It gives you a drop down. You click the thing 
sometimes it's literally you only have one option of why it lost and you're like, oh, it's probably a multitude of factors. I don't yeah. think it was one of these, you know? I mean, it's just- It's never one reason. Yeah. yeah. I remember sitting there when I first learned sales a long time ago, I was sitting there and I'm like reading these emails come in and I'm like, man, the closed one emails are a lot longer than the closed lost emails. <laughs> nobody, yes. nobody likes to write about yeah, totally. the races that they lost. Totally. And, and, and to your exact point, right? Like having personally done thousands of win-loss interviews, I've never done one uh, a win-loss interview where the person came back and said, we chose to go with you for one reason, yeah. one reason alone, or we chose not to go with you for one reason, one reason alone. And most of the time when you get the feedback from these buyers, what they'll say is they'll actually say, we liked A, B, and C, but D and E were problems for us. And here's how that ended up waiting out. And so you need it. It, it is unique and dynamic and nuanced feedback that you get from buyers coming off of deal cycles. And so it's important not to, that one drop down is a death of a company. Like I, I literally had, a, I had a, one of our clients, they were going to completely invest like $10 million in the product roadmap to go fundamentally change their product because they had a monster think, you know, huge tech company coming into their space and they were freaking out about it. The first competitor in the drop down was that company. And the first competitor in the reason for a loss was price. So they were saying, we're losing to X because of price. We're losing to X because of price. And then come to find out the reps were just blindly putting those things in. Yeah, of course. And they're about to spend all this money to go try to address their pricing and repackage their product and refence their product based off of just like a total garbage input. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so funny. We, we obsess about data. There are so many companies focus on data, everything about getting data right. And then at the end of the day, it's like someone like, clicking a mouse a few times when they're pissed off. How do you go after these folks? What's your marketing strategy and how are y'all structured right. to, to go after them? Yeah, very good question. So the way we have to approach this market because it is very like educate first, sell later, we have to do a lot of thought leadership exercise. So we, we put a lot of content out around like, this is what best practices look like. This is what companies are doing in this space. This is what, th these are the different ways that you can approach it and things like that. And then that's the first part of the strategy. The second part of the strategy is let's make it easy for people to experiment and see what good looks like. So we do, you know, obviously demos, we have videos of what our solution is. One of the things that our clients that sells prospects and people that are in the market have really liked is the ability to try out our solution because it is new and novel. And that helps us drive a lot of demand. So like We'll just invite people. Hey, man, you want to see what a good win-loss program looks like? Let us do some free interviews for you. And they get the output and they're like, holy crap, now I know what good looks like. Now I know what what, what I should be shooting for and I understand the value. It makes it easier for them to, to move forward. And then the last thing for us on like kind of the third tier, first tier, educate, second tier, let them try it. The third piece is continuously opening their minds to what once they get on and are using our solution, we have to continuously educate clients about what good looks like too, because one of the problems that you run into is people treat this sometimes like an academic process, mm. an academic deliverable instead of an operational process. And so 
getting people to realize like you're better off instead of turning all of this into a PowerPoint and having a presentation, you're better off actually just sharing the feedback broadly throughout your organization. And then the person that's at their desk right now working on messaging or building product roadmap or working a deal can see what the bear traps are in front of them and the reasons why you're winning and losing and incorporate that into what they do and make them better. So it's kind of those three things like, Educate, let them try it, help open their mind to all the value that they can continuously get. That's really cool. And I think that, you know, having the freedom to be able to like get started, especially in this economy, super important. But in terms of the educational piece, in terms of the category creation piece um, of win, win loss analysis being a program that you should be investing in and the technology like clothes that you should be investing in. How do you get people over that hump? You know, they have no budget for this, right? Because last yeah. year they didn't oh, yeah. do it. So always brand yeah. new budget, got to come from somewhere. Yeah. How do you, how do you sort of get over that? Dude, great question, right? Because in this environment, talk about demand and driving, having to drive pipeline. Pipeline is hard to come by, right? Like people aren't out looking in, in shopping windows right now. They're worried about budget cuts, not about having extra budget to go around. The way that we do this is this is very much an ROI sell. What do you have to believe to spend the money to go get the budget together to spend money on this? And it's actually a pretty simple ROI sell. Like our clients on average report that they get at least a $3 million return on their annual investment. And, and, and a great way to think about that is it's, it's this simple. Let's say you spend $50,000 on a win-loss program or $100,000. Do you believe that the learnings from that will allow you to win that many more dollars? And we see it time and time again. Like we actually just had a client talking with my co-founder, telling him about how they, they were doing a relatively small program. And what happened was in the first like five interviews, they learned some things about their sales process that were that buyers didn't like. And they went and incorporated that on other deals, particularly their biggest deals. And it helped them win a $4 million deal. Mm -hmm. Now, all of a sudden you're like, dude, this is like, an, well, we couldn't, we can't afford not to have these learnings coming into our organization. We can't afford to not have this knowledge being spread into the org. So the way we get people over the hump is to help them realize like, Hey, if you actually heard from your buyers, cut the noise out of your org, cut your internal echo chamber, you know, out of the process, if you actually heard from your buyers, why they care about your solution, why they are choosing you, why they aren't choosing you. Do you think that would help you refine your recipe to go win more? And any logical person can connect those dots pretty easily. Yeah, I think a lot of us are are having to do that ROI math right now. But in this sort, sort of climate, like we built, we did the same thing at Caspian where we built an ROI calculator to show how a video podcast series can, you know, can drive ROI and had to be more yeah. rigorous on that. Whereas... I think previously for us, I'm sure it's similar to you where you're kind of probably preaching to the converted a little bit where you talk to someone and be like, win loss is super important. And they're like, yeah, it is like, of course yeah. it Im impacts product marketing and product roadmap yeah. and, and all these reasons like, yeah, this is a no brainer. Please like help us. And obviously once budgets come, you know, get decreased a little bit, it's, it's like everyone, high, yeah. even if they're, even if they're the converted, they still need to have the ROI thing yeah. to go to their boss. Like that's, the, that's the difference, right? It's just, yeah. even if they are like, I'm a hundred percent in, they're like, I need more data. I feel like 
almost everyone is having to having to do that more and more now. To drive that home even further, like we see this in the data. Yeah. Like of our clients, right? Like what's happening now, Ian, that wasn't happening a year and a half ago is in the buying process, in my decision to choose you or choose somebody else, I now have to actually go through an extra step that didn't used to exist of getting the CFO's approval or yeah. a senior person on the finance team. And so deals are, they're crossing the historical finish line only to find out that they have further to go. And we've actually seen clients have situations where it's like, we were told the deal was going to happen. We sent it over for signatures. They inserted this final decision because it was over some threshold that had to be approved by the CFO and it got stopped. And like, we're doing those interviews on behalf of our clients. And why did it get stopped? Because the ROI wasn't clear because we needed to prove why we had to have it and we weren't able to. And so you're like, wow, that's, that's pretty interesting. So definitely sign of the times. Yeah. And I think people are cutting good programs too. Like that's like part of it is like people will cut software that they're like, yeah, generally everybody on the team likes it. It's good. It's a cool thing, but we got to cut something. And you're like, I mean, that's true. You know, what do you, how do you argue with that? Right. Like, but why us versus somebody else? Like, are we not showing the value? Are we not doing, you know, those sort of things. And I think another thing that obviously you all do, which is part of this is like identifying win back opportunities and for lifecycle marketing, like how, how freaking critical is that right this second, right? All of us sitting here in the middle of the year, everybody's budgets are going to change. Like if you just follow the math, it's like, you know, November, 2022, real bad. Everybody's going to go through a one year budget cycle. Then the next year after that, things are going to change a little bit. So it's like this, this Q4 is going to be absolutely nuts because next Q1 is probably going to be when a lot of people rebuy stuff that they wanted. So figuring out the messaging there, you got to do it. You're totally nailing it. So, so the win back thing is totally real. So I'll give you, I'll give you two stats. We started to see across all the pipelines that we cover, not at the same rate, but a bump in what we call lost to no decision deals. Think the deal's getting pushed, right? I'm not spending, the money's not coming out of my wallet. I'm not spending the money. I'm keeping it. Why? Because we're in a recession, even though, you know, the macro folks have not necessarily fully declared that yet. We are definitely in a recession in B2B tech. In B2B tech, for sure, yeah. And so we started seeing that as early as a year ago, like start to flash up, right? And it, and it got really big in Q2, really big in Q3. What that actually translates to is exactly what you said. Buyers that are saying, I am interested, I want to do this, but I can't do it right now. Which what you need to do, if you're doing win-loss systematically, you're tagging those things as this is an opportunity that's still in play. We can't let it, we can't let it just fall to the ground and rot. We have to continue to nourish it stay on their radar so that when it does come back around, we're ready to work it. So that's one of the things that we've been able to do for our clients is make sure we flag, watch it like this is a real deal and make sure that it's flagged back into their organization, into their CRM so that the reps don't lose sight of it. You can make a really good argument that one of your uncuttable budget, that's not a budget item, but but areas where you need to invest right now is in nurture. It's like, how are you nurturing? Because like your sales reps, it is brutal to send an email every single month for six months, right? Like yes. six straight unopened, right? Like, you know, yeah. whatever. People are like, well, that's that's like, that's what they got to do or whatever. It's like, 
that is marketing's job to provide the top cover so that they respond to those emails at some point in time. But like, how do you keep those accounts engaged? Um, but one of the things that we're focused on like right now is like working on our customer stories to like getting those things out there so that when, you know, hopefully warming up that, that CFO that, Hey, here's three more customer stories that I can sink my little data driven teeth into to show ROI and things like that. Like that stuff is so important when you're trying to figure out, you know, how to, how to give sales that top cover. Yeah, totally. Like the uncuttables right now, absolutely thoughtfully, carefully, deliberately nurturing your pipeline, especially those deals in your pipeline that were are getting kicked down the can. I'd also argue, depending upon what your revenue model looks like, if you're on like a traditional SaaS subscription type model, people that are churning right now, doesn't it doesn't mean that they won't be back in the market in a year, right? Like understand why they're churning. Keep your brand top of mind for them when things come back. And how do you make sure that they don't forget or get the loyalty stolen away by somebody else? Oh, yeah, we decided we cut we cut this software solution, you know, in 2022 just to save money. And we went through 2023. Now we're realizing we need it again. And now instead of like, oh, I've been talking to the rep and they've been checking in with me and they actually even they actually even let me use some of the functionality for free. Yeah. They actually like nurtured me through this and they actually were like a good partner or whatever it happens to be. Now I'm, co- I'm coming back to you for sure. Versus I left them. I never heard from them again, but these other people have been reaching out to me and I figured I'd try them out. I've used this example in the past of like, if you're like dead set, like I'm buying a Tesla, it's July, 2022. You're like, I'm buying a Tesla. This is what I'm going to do. I'm all psyched up to buy a Tesla. And then you're like, ah, oh, market change. I don't, I don't really have the money right now. I, I can't do it. And then, then the new, you know, Ford Mustang E comes out in in January, and you're like, I mean, I was in the market for a Tesla, but this new right. Mustang came came out. Like that is the opportunity that's going to happen in six months in B two B tech, where it's like you thought you had the deal one six months ago, but and you probably did, but something else is coming out, a new feature is coming out. So like, how as marketers do you keep turning up the heat a great way to think about this is you have to keep the heat on like as if if i when you smoke a brisket or a pork shoulder right well what what you'll see happen with these these types of meat is that their internal temperatures will start to climb and then they'll hit this stage called stalling where like oh crap it stops going up and you as the person in charge of the smoker will be like well crap what's going on Did, did i mess up or whatever what's happening is it's stalling out and then eventually it'll turn and, and actually raise really quickly because in this process, the stalling process it makes it awesome and delicious and everything else. But the point is you have to go through the stall to accelerate. I think what a lot of where a lot of people are going to blow it right now and where, frankly, a lot of companies are going to fail, go out of business or or they're going to come out of this recession weak is – they don't have the resources or the discipline to keep the heat on and to continue to manage and drive the demand in this in this environment. And when the economy comes back, their competitors are going to steal all their steal their share. The biggest market share gains don't happen when everything's great. They happen when stuff's not great and the strongest 
players are able to just eat up market share from the competitors. You got to stay patient and, and keep working hard. And and frankly, some companies are going to run out of resources. Yeah, they haven't. They can't keep working hard and they can't keep dedicating the same amount of effort towards it because they aren't capital efficient and they haven't been. And all the more reason why you got to make sure that you're getting everything out of your go to market in this in this environment. Okay, let's get to the playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. Where you open up the playbook and talk about the tactics that help you win. What are those three channels or tactics that are your uncuttable budget items? Spencer, where the heck are you spending your money? Yeah, good question. So, you know, for us, like I said, win-loss is definitely a novel practice, right? So, but those people that do know what they want, and are searching for it, we have to make sure that we are visible to them. So, you know, paid search is really, really important to us, making sure we have the right net there to catch people that are high intent. Second place, this concept of nurture, you totally nailed that. Like we're, we're spending money there on like, how do we make sure we build out and keep people aware of what's going on? And then the, the biggest place, honestly, that we're spending the most money is on this thought leadership front and driving the market, right? Like we're in a place where there's a lot of people that don't know what full potential win-loss looks like, and we have to provide the content and the message to them. So from very deliberate outbound campaigns, ABM style campaigns, we're doing a lot of that right now to like make sure we go right at the exact folks that we believe would benefit the most from this and make sure that we are on their radar. And is this more content, you know, focus? Is it more feature focus? You talked you talked a little bit about how you're not exactly very feature and benefit oriented yeah. at this stage. It's, it's more content focused about what best practices look like and the impact of it, mm-hmm. because the feature benefit people people aren't ready for the feature benefits. They have to understand the concept first, and then when you actually when once they grasp the concept of, oh, if I were to understand and get feedback about why we win and lose. That would help me. That would help my counter. I'm a CMO. That would help my counterpart CRO. That would help my counterpart CPO. That would help yada, yada, yada. Then when you show them the feature of, well, guess what? When we go do this for you, we have this platform. We automatically pull your deals from your CRM. We then automatically allow you to reach out through multiple means and channels to go gather feedback from these different folks that you've tried to sell to. We then analyze it and we allow you to push it back out to the folks in your organization that benefit from this information. And we do it seamlessly so that your team's not spent doing all the administrative work in that process. Once they get the concept and you walk them through tactically how we do it, they eat it up and they're like, okay, yes, I know I'm ready. Any things that you're not going to be investing in or, or uh, your maybe potentially more cuttable uh, budget items. You know, what's been interesting for us that I think is maybe unique for closed we bootstrapped for four years before we ever took on any type of funding. So we've always been a profitable business. And when we raised money, that was the first time we were ever really willing to go into the red and potentially even burn. And because of the financial strength that we're at as an efficient business, we're allowed to continue. We are able to keep investing and keep going down that path. So we haven't, at all been like cutting, right? We've been very deliberate about where should we spend and maybe put the gas harder? Where should we maybe keep the investment steady? Because frankly, right now, like let's not go throw seeds on the cement. 
You know, like there's certain industries that are just not going to spend money. There's certain things that maybe we should wait a little bit longer for the economy to recover. But like we're investing heavy on certain elements of our business. We've increased our spend significantly on the product front, on the marketing front, on the sales SDR front. So there's nowhere right now that we're, I would say that we are cutting. We are definitely performance managing our teams, right? Like everybody needs to be in the boat. Like we're a 150 person organization. We need everybody in the boat, rowing, doing their part, contributing, being a good team member, whether that's in marketing and sales in product, wherever, because in this environment, you can't have people that are, you know, on along for the free ride for a free ride. Any campaigns that you've ran or, or experiments that you've ran over the past year or so that have been particularly helpful from a marketing perspective? Yeah. Yeah. So, so this, so this is an interesting thing about, about win loss and closed. Historically, this has been like a professional service feel type of solution that companies have bought. So I bet a lot of the CMOs listening that when they've done win loss in the past, they've actually like hired like a team. If they've used an external resource, it's almost like a team that goes out and they deliver you back like PDFs, right? And it feels like an academic exercise. Well, as we've made this more of an operational exercise, we found that having the CMOs on board, because oftentimes it sits within their realm, is really important, but also getting sales operations, rev ops, and CROs on board is really important because we tie into all their systems, right? So some of the campaigns that we have run and some of the messaging that we feel like has really resonated is when we actually have pivoted and been talking to CROs as well and not just CMOs about the importance. And it's creating a much better alignment in our companies when we sign them up, when both the CRO and the CMO are approaching this hand in hand. Everybody on this that's listening to this knows that there can be tension between those two orgs. But when they're, when they're working together well and there's like a clear alignment and they're using a, a tool like Close to be able to understand what's going on because it mutually benefits both of them. Mm-hmm. That's pretty awesome. And a lot of the CMOs that we work, like one thing one of the CMOs that we work with has told us is doing win-loss doesn't just give me a seat at the table because I have this information that no one else has. Yeah. It gives me the seat at the table because it allows me to go influence the sales and revenue teams. It allows me to go influence our pricing. It allows... I because I have this source of knowledge and it creates for me as the CMO, the ability to really help drive the right agenda for the organization. Yeah. We talk about this a lot in, in a different podcast, actually rise of RevOps, about revenue operations where like at the end of the day, like revenue operations needs to be a, a source of truth. Like it doesn't need to like cater to marketing or to sales. It just needs to be the truth. And I feel like win-loss is sort of the same sort of thing where I'm not trying to like point a finger at sales or marketing or, you know, like you promised the roadmap or you did this or, you know, anything like that. It's just like, what's the truth of, of the market of why they're you know choosing the solution and just try to rely on the data as much as we can. And a lot of this stuff is objective at the yeah. end of the day. Like y- we need to be more data driven. And I think you're exactly right that, giving the CMO having that data and having that information is, I mean, it's as, as important as anything. I think what you've seen in the last 10 years in terms of the evolution of RevOps 
going from being like, there's a marketing ops team and a sales ops team and whatever, and, and, and a customer success ops team to a lot of companies are moving to a unified, yeah. there's one team that runs the whole customer journey that's responsible for reporting on the whole thing, making sure all the systems and everything are tied together. I We see that, right, across our clients. And the cool part about win-loss is it's the companies that do well with win-loss and actually get the most value out of it, it has very little to do with who owns it, whether it's sales or marketing. <laughs> it has everything to do with do they have a culture that can accept feedback? Yeah. It, like it, I can't even tell you, Ian, how like awesome on the one hand it is and how like super frustrating on the other hand it is when we have a client, like one of our customers who the feedback comes back and it's like, it, sometimes it's blistering. Yeah. It's like, like your product sucks. Like it looks like it was built in Bill Gates garage in 1985 like i've literally had somebody say that to me on an on a win loss interview oh, right? oh tell me more about why you didn't like it you know i know it doesn't feel good to when we go share that with our client but it's what the buyer said and if i have 50 quotes from buyers saying stuff along the same lines like your ui ux is just weird it's hard to follow it looks outdated can you accept and ingest that in a healthy way and say this is something we should go address or do you get defensive and angry and blame the person who signed up the win-loss provider and stuff like that? So it's, it's a funny thing that we see where companies that have healthy, productive, mature cultures that want to get better, that, that work collaboratively together, that don't blame, that don't weaponize this type of buyer feedback, they get so much value out of it. And the ones that are immature and don't work well together, well, they're not going to do well either way because they, they can't get along but they end up with real problems when they're not willing to listen to buyers because of their egos. How do you view your company website? Much of the goal of our company website is, is this education piece, right? Like who are we, what do we do? We obviously want to capture demand there. We, we obviously want to allow people to engage with us and get the information they want, but we very much view it as a way to educate people. So much of it is educational about the value of win-loss with the ability for people to engage with us to learn more. But it's, you know, one day it'd be sweet when we can drive this market more to allow people to just immediately engage directly with the product and, and move from there. So yeah. that's the direction we want to go. We're, we still like, we feel like we're still in kind of the education space. All right, let's get to our final segment, quick hits. These are quick questions and quick answers, just like how quickly qualified helps companies generate pipeline you can tap into your greatest asset, your website, to identify your most valuable visitors and instantly start sales conversations. Quick and easy, just like these questions. Go to qualified.com to learn more. Quick hits. Spencer, are you ready? Yep, let's do it. Do you have a hidden talent or skill that's not on your resume? People at close would tell you that I'm really good at analogies. You've probably seen that here. <laughs> I, my mind thinks like crazy. Like I'm always trying to tie this to something else that I've seen or experienced. So I thought it was smoked meat. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Do you have a favorite podcast, book, TV show, something that you'd recommend? I really like the All In podcast. I think that's really cool. The Wall Street Journal podcast, like it's like 15 minute quick snippets, biggest stuff happening in the day. I listen to that a lot. Favorite TV show. I really like Ted Lasso. I really like Ted Lasso. I didn't think I would like it because I'm kind of, I'm kind of more into the I want to go see something kind of crazy or, or dark about like, you know, really messed up for stuff that happens in the world. 
for whatever reason, I, I like that stuff. But Ted Lasso has been pretty awesome. What is your best advice for someone who is heading up a demand gen team? Keep it simple. Keep it simple, right? It's about how are we going to go be really clear on the strategy of what you want to do and how you're going to measure it, right? Like demand gen is one of those terms. I don't know if you agree with this or not, Ian, but to me, it's one of those terms that has 50 freaking different meetings, depending upon oh, who you 100%. talk to. Be clear about what your objectives are and the, and how you're going to measure them and then go do that. Because if you are clear about it, you will have people in the organization that are thinking that you're doing you're supposed to be doing more or less and that creates confusion. So because the the term is nebulous, you need to bring the specifics of what your objectives are and how you're going to measure them and what you need from other people and then you'll be successful because you can measure yourself against that. 100%. Spencer, it's been awesome having you on the show. Obviously, our listeners have learned a bunch about win loss and they can go to close.com. We'll link it up in the show notes to learn more. It's super cool. I'm, I'm very, very glad we got a chance to have you on the show because it's so timely and relevant for exactly where we're at in this crazy, uh, crazy time. Any final thoughts, anything to plug? Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. This has been great. I realized that, that what I've been talking about might be new or something you've thought about before as a, as a marketing leader. If you're interested in learning more, obviously you can go to close.com. One of the best ways to learn about this is to just do it. So if you go to freebuyerinterview.com, just freebuyerinterview.com, that's a place where you can engage with us and have us actually go check, go do some interviews on your behalf, right? So if you have like a super painful deal from Q1 that you got, that your company lost and you're like, oh, I wonder what happened. And I wonder, I thought we were going to win it. Like we'll go track that down for you and help you figure that out and do it on your behalf so that you can learn why. So go for that. Happy to do it. Also, honestly, feel free to reach out to me. I love talking to folks and hearing the frontline battles, battles and being a, a resource to people. So feel free to email me. It's just spencer at close.com. Happy to always be a resource to folks that are dealing with the challenges in this environment. We have a lot of lessons and expertise we can share. Spencer, awesome having you on the show. And thanks again. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks again to our friends at qualified.com conversational sales and marketing platform that transforms the way B2B companies sell. Go to qualified.com to learn more.